Hello, I'm from the Australian Government. Have you been too busy to notice that we're dismantling democracy? Well, here's a new app to help you keep track of all our sh- Introducing My Police State. Just like My Health Record, but with no clear opt-out choice, My Police State is for your own safety, which is why we've already signed you up. Because we wouldn't want you to miss out on our exciting journey into authoritarianism. My, My Police State. State. Packed with exciting features, like 20-year jail sentences if you make us look bad by committing the crime of journalism, and especially the crime of whistleblowing. Just ask Witness Kate, who exposed how we helped an oil company f*** over Timor-Leste. We're pushing to try him in a secret court, because My Police State also includes new laws to break up protests, new laws to break encryption, facial recognition, as well as attacks on courts and judges. Oh, and remember, we've also made it a crime to impersonate the government. So don't do it. My Police State. If you don't like My Police State, you can opt out at the next federal election. P.S. My Police State is supported by both major parties. Authorised by the Department of Home Affairs. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We hope you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for the FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Everything in the show is in the show notes. You can find links to the stuff we're talking about and timestamps to the relevant parts so you can always skip ahead or find it later. We've got a great episode coming up this episode for you. So we're going to be covering a bunch of news, including a malware release from the official Monero website. We'll also be talking about Tesla's new site. Cybertruck. Uh, we're going to cover the Electronic Frontiers Foundation's statement on face surveillance and some of the stuff surrounding that. And we're going to be covering Microsoft's Doomsday Bunker. Pretty exciting. We've also got a cool tool this week called Map Radio, which lets you look at a whole bunch of the radio spectrum and the links and all sorts of things going on in your city. And while we were there, we got a tweet from uh, one of our friends, Hyun Seo, um, and he has sent us a link to the updated version of Magic Pad. So just hang about for that. It's going to be really cool. In our privacy and security segment, we're talking about HODL HODL, which is, <laughs> which is a really cool decentralized Bitcoin exchange. Nice. Bit of disclosure, this podcast is not investment or any other type of advice. We're not saying you should buy anything at all. So for full disclosure, we're both personally invested in different shares, funds, cryptocurrencies, and other things, I'm sure, some of which we talk about on the show. If we talk about an investment product, it doesn't mean you should buy it, though. So do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and most importantly, avoid the fear of missing out. So what have you been up to the last couple of weeks, Joe? Mate, I have had a birthday. Woo-hoo. I've just turned another year, so I'm an old and wise man. So, okay. <laughs> uh, No, not wise at all, sadly. So... I actually got a chef's knife, a really fancy chef's knife for my birthday. My girlfriend girlfriend bought me that. Um, that was really fancy. One of those Japanese ones that oh. is from the brand called Global, which oh. I'd never heard of before, but they're like super, like the sharpest knife I've ever seen. It's insane. And it's super light and it's just versatile and it's just awesome. So How's your fine that. motor skills? Are you, like, have you ever cut yourself? 
chopping things up before? Or? Well, I'm about to, that's for sure. That's <laughs> <I hope not. laughs> uh, And uh, what else? I've got a bottle of whiskey as well. That was awesome. So um, a really nice bottle of Lafroig. Wow. So I've been dipping into that a little more than I should have. Uh, Are you drinking it right now? Uh, I have got a glass of it here, yes. Brilliant. So, yeah, absolutely got treated. You did get treated, mate. You are putting photos up and... The presents just kept on coming. It looked awesome. <laughs> yeah. And apart from that, yeah, I've been sucking at JavaScript. So there was a project I was working on at work, a little web page I was building. And I was like, oh, JavaScript would be great for this. I could build this little feature because I know it's possible. Um, so I did most of it. And then I got stuck on the last part. And I was like, how do I get this all to happen? And then I realized, no, I actually really suck at JavaScript. And I'm, I'm not a programmer yet. Very depressing. That sucks, mate. But no, I'm sure you're doing okay. You're learning a lot while you're doing it. Too, oh, so. it's true. You're 100% yeah. right. I remember that learning programming as well, mate. You just you feel like you've learned so much and then you try and put it in practice and you realise how little you've actually learned. Oh, anyway, what have you been up to? Uh, I've been up to a lot. Um, recently, I watched the Star Citizens annual conference, which is called CitizenCon. So, I mean kind of working my way back through the videos of that. I didn't get a chance to watch it live, but um, you can go back and you can watch all the videos. And there is some awesome stuff coming out of that. So we covered Star Citizen on a previous episode quite a while ago. Um, It's basically the most ambitious PC game out there, bar none. Like it's a, their goal is to build a, a universe sometime in the future, which is really, really well simulated, incredibly detailed and basically like the ultimate game. It'll have... FPS, wow. spaceships, uh, accurate planets, accurate weather, um, accurate physics, accurate everything. It's just unreal. Anyway, so some of the sessions that they had from this year's CitizenCon were incredibly interesting. Uh, one in particular, which I was showing you earlier before the show, yeah. uh, was just amazing. Like they've basically modeled, they've got an economic modeling tool for the, for the developers, which um, uh, they can basically model how this economy is going to work on a, on a solar and galactic scale and, and put a number of inputs into it, change all sorts of variables. And the goal there is to is that they want to have an economy that really works uh, with supply and demand and they want the NPCs, like the computer characters in it, to act like real humans with real incentives, wow. uh, real trade-offs. You know, if, if there's nothing to do, they want them just sitting there. But the moment the market conditions dictate that there's an opportunity. They want them to actually go out, you know, get in their spaceship or whatever, start buying and selling things, trading, setting up factories, all sorts of stuff. And that sounded really ambitious until this presentation where they actually were like, we've been working on this for years. It's finally in a state where we can share it with you. And watching the presentation was just uh, insane what they've what they've achieved. Wow. Now, if that is complete gobbledygook to you, check out episode 36 of our podcast. We, we went through what Star Citizen is. It's this massive, like, universe-sized game where you can go around in first person and just, you know, have a spaceship and go places and there are... There's this, like, it's insane the scale at which they want to make this game. They want to have factories and economies and cities and towns and things that you can do and they literally have a planet covered a planet covered in city already in the game so you can literally fly around the entire planet and it's one massive city it all looks quite different it's just it's breathtaking the scale on which they're operating and this game is going to be around in 20 years from now most likely and it's going to still be popular i mean from what we're seeing this is like you could get lost in this thing once it gets finished yeah 
Yeah. Anyway, that sounds awesome, man. <laughs> Let's jump in to the show. Are you certain you're private and safe online? Check out our new resource at fomo.show forward slash privacy. It's a great online repository of our favorite tools to understand and improve your online security. Now, if you're new to Bitcoin and blockchain, you can also check out our blockchain basic series, which covers the fundamentals of the technology. Uh, that starts from episode two and continues until episode eight. All right, let's jump into the news. Okay, so first bit of news, uh, the official Monero website. Now, Monero is a uh, privacy-focused cryptocurrency. Uh, it's been compromised, and it was compromised with malware that actually steals people's funds. Yeah, so the official website of the, the, the cryptocurrency was compromised the other week to deliver a malware-infected file that stole funds from account owners. This compromise happened on November 18, and a user spotted the compromised file and reported the issue on GitHub with the Monero team confirming the hack in a tweet earlier that day. Yeah, so it was discovered after this user downloaded the the binary from the website for working with the currency. Uh, and then once they downloaded it, they actually um, noticed that the hash for the downloaded file didn't match the hash listed on the site. Now, what that means is basically when you download a file from a cryptocurrency website, they'll list a hash, which is a series, like a fingerprint to say this is what the file should be. This is the fingerprint for the file. And it turned out that the fingerprint didn't match what was listed on the website. Yeah, and although the Monero team claimed it intervened to take down the compromised file, at least one user reported losing funds. And they said, I can confirm that the malicious binary is stealing coins. Roughly nine hours after I ran the binary, a single transaction drained the wallet of all $7,000 worth of Monero. That was according to a user in a Reddit comment. So that was pretty insane. Yeah, and it's particularly bad because Monero are, are trying to market themselves as like, the privacy cryptocurrency. So they kind of look at Bitcoin. They say, look, it's pseudonymous. It's not anonymous. So you can still, people can still perform forensic analysis on it and kind of try and work out who people are. Whereas their goal with Monero is for everyone who's really conscious about their privacy and security to be able to transact with each other um, on a ledger that's sound, but with complete privacy. So for them to be hacked, it's not a good look. Yeah, so I mean, the good news from this was that the Monero price took a bit of a, a hit since then. Happy days. Uh, yeah, you got to be careful out there, hey. <laughs> Next bit of news uh, Ge- the German airline Han Air has issued tickets on blockchain. Yeah, so they've claimed to be the first airline company to issue tickets on a blockchain. They announced in a press release on the 18th of November. Now, the ticket sale using blockchain technology was made possible through their collaboration with a quote-unquote decentralized platform for the travel industry, uh, Winding Tree. So basically, a few people from the company, Han Air, became the first passengers to use blockchain booked tickets. Yeah. So uh, like, I'm not sure what the experience was on the customer side and, and, and what it all means, I guess. But look, they're the first to do it. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see... Um, whether they, you know, whether it actually you know, helps what they're doing long term, or if it's, you know, just one of the one of these demos. Mm. Next up, Anonymous detailed a seventy-five million dollar Bitcoin fund for privacy technology development. Yeah, this is so cool. So, Anonymous, uh, the Anonymous we're talking about are the decentralized hacktivist group, which are responsible for a number of uh, very high-profile hacks. They've said that they're going to put together a $75 million Bitcoin fund 
to go towards promoting privacy-enhancing technology and cryptocurrency development. Yeah, so they put out a press release the other week and they, they provided a bit of vague details on the fund, which they actually titled Unknown Fund. <laughs> um, the plans to donate that money to startups that are supportive of the notion of online anonymity. Uh, they say that the projects favoured for investment will be those working on protection of personal data, anonymity-enhancing tools and cryptocurrency projects. So further details of the fund are lacking. Uh, there's no indication as to where the $75 million will actually come from, uh, how many fund organisers there are, or how the $75 million will be distributed. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see where they put it. I mean, I, 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 I think that some of that will probably go to the Tor project. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some of these more privacy-promoting projects out there, maybe a bit might go to Mozilla. Um, but then there's probably a number of startups that they, they may want to give it to as well that are work, working on some good privacy tech. And that's damn good news because all you're seeing in the news is about Google stealing your privacy and mm. reading your health data after they acquire Fitbit or hospital data. You know, it's just, it's good. It's very, like, as, as much as we hate hackers because they're bad, bad, bad people, this is fantastic news. Mm. And if they're not doing it, who else will? Exactly right, man. Exactly right. Next bit of news, business is booming for liquidators, and that's a bad sign for everyone else. Insolvency practitioners are offering a stark warning to Australian businesses, get your affairs in order because bad times are ahead. So the key points for this is that insolvency practitioners say they're receiving more inquiries and are expecting a busy 2020, and that's a bad sign for the economy, with retailers in particular facing the possibility of business failure. Yes, uh, I mean, these guys, their role is to turn around failing businesses or wind them up. But if they're seeing more business and that means that, you know, regular small mum and pop or whatever companies around the country, this is an Australian-focused piece, but they're they're starting to collapse. And, yeah, so when the liquidators start booming, that's when you start saying, hmm, maybe the economy is going to follow... A bit delayed. Yeah, and I saw, actually saw a tweet from Matt Barry, the uh, CEO of Freelancer recently, and we, we covered dude. Matt. Um, oh, geez, it was a long time ago now, but he wrote that Australia's Economy is a House of Cards piece. Mm. And he was talking about the fact that a whole bunch of these retailers had been propped up by essentially by the government to stop them from failing. Uh, and he went through this huge list of retailers that had all received essentially emergency funding uh, of whether they were too big to fail or whatever the other reason was. But... They're essentially being propped up and everyone's encouraging people to spend more, you know, so these retailers can survive. But his view, and I think the view of a lot of people now, is just that that industry, like there's just so much uh, wastage and um, I guess failing businesses that haven't really moved their business model with the with the times. I mean, so much more is going online now that it just makes sense, particularly that uh, these retail businesses, which mainly rely on, Shopping centres and shopping traffic and foot traffic will be would be struggling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I rarely go into shopping centres, mate. But like last time I was in one, you know, I looked around and there was barely anyone in any of the clothes stores, and they were just you know attendants kind of standing around wow. waiting for people to come in. <laughs> okay, this next bit of news is really cool. So Microsoft is hiding source code in an apocalypse-proof cave. So next to the famous global seed vault in Svalbard, Norway, is an abandoned coal mine protecting a different kind of resource against the end of the world. All of GitHub's open source code. Now, if the world ends, whatever survivors crawl out of the ashes will be able to access 
and use software behind modern day tech if they can get their hands on the stuff in this this vault. Yeah, so since 2017, the Arctic World Archive, as it's called, has stored other digital records, including the Vatican Archives and movies and anything else deemed worth saving, according to a new Bloomberg feature. Yeah, and so Microsoft owns GitHub now as well. So they're, they're, with their GitHub contribution, it all, these vaults also hold a hard copy of nearly all the open source software in the world, which can be read with nothing more than a magnifying lens. So, yeah, we can just, yeah, after the end of the world, we can just restart society with a magnifying glass. Yeah, and look, like as far as money goes, I mean, Bitcoin will be there. It's in, it'll be, it's in GitHub. And we'll be, you know, as soon as we get the technology to link to one of the satellites up in the air, we'll be able to connect back to the global ledger and away we go. I mean, how many mm. banks can you say that for? Now, this one's a bit of an obituary here. Um, we're saying farewell to Cortana. Yeah, look, it's it just just really sad, isn't it? I mean, everyone's favorite app, everyone's favorite little assistant that pops up when she's not asked to be there. Um, she's coming to an end in January. Uh, she's getting booted to the Microsoft Assistant graveyard. The good news is, uh, poor Clippy from uh, Microsoft Word from back in the day will have some company. Yeah, I miss Clippy. I, I really, I really think that they should bring Clippy back. To be honest, it's, do you know what? Clippy was one of my favourite things. Yeah, if you've never, if you never experienced Clippy, um, if you never used Word, what about fifteen, twenty years ago? Uh, you should go look up some videos of Clippy because Clippy was just awesome. Clippy was a lot of fun. That's how you know you're getting old, isn't it? That yeah, Clippy it is. was like a relic of your past. Yeah, we've actually got to say like <laughs> if you haven't seen Clippy because there's probably a lot of people that haven't. Yeah, well, that's according to a support article that Microsoft posted to a few regional markets uh, the other week. Uh, a spokesperson later clarified to Gizmodo that only users in Great Britain, Australia, Germany, Mexico, China, Spain, Canada, and India are going to experience that goodbye. But, I mean, that's basically the world apart from America. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, apart from that, apart from apart that... From those- Eight countries. <laughs> Cortana remains a quote-unquote integral part of their business model to incorporate quote-unquote conversational computing and productivity into their products, according to the spokesperson. So, yeah, the, the coffin isn't closed yet. Mm. Next bit of news, censorship in the 21st century. So YouTube says that it can delete your account if you're not commercially viable. I think most of our listeners who go on YouTube have probably seen, if they have a YouTube account, there's this, you know, it's been popping up for the last few weeks, like, oh, accept the new terms. Well, in this section that they've titled Account Suspension and Termination, they've put under the subheader Terminations by YouTube for Service Changes, they've said that, look, YouTube might terminate your access or your Google account's access to all or part of the service if YouTube believes in its sole discretion, that the provision of the service to you is no longer commercially viable. Yeah, so in its most basic terms, if YouTube isn't making money off you, the company can delete your account. The current terms of service don't include this language, of course. But, yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, like it's it's their platform. They can do what they want with it. But James Corbett has been saying this for a while and others have been saying this for a while. It's time for us to move away from these platforms and look for alternatives. And yeah, self-hosting your content. I mean, that's one thing that, so James Corbett, he runs a great YouTube channel. Check it out if you haven't before. It's pretty deep stuff. It's not exactly going to make you excited about the future. Um, 
but he does really well research pieces. He hosts stuff on his website. He also stuff hosts stuff on BitChute or DTube or whatever the other places are. And YouTube, while he publishes there, and that's where his major audience is, he's been saying for years, he's like, don't subscribe to me on YouTube, subscribe elsewhere. Mm. It's tough though, isn't it? It really is tough. Like everyone uses YouTube. They know YouTube. I mean, I wouldn't mind if YouTube deleted my account because then that means that they'd get rid of all my history and, you know, I'd, I'd have a bit more anonymity in relation to YouTube services. But for a lot of people, that's how they make their money. Here's an interesting little piece that popped up. Um, watch some protesters kill a drone using hundreds of laser pointers. Yeah, this is a crazy one. So in response to rising public transit costs, Chileans have taken to the streets in ongoing protests that have now evolved it to encompass broader concerns about inequality. And they're using high-tech tricks to push police back. Yeah, so particularly a police drone was disabled and fell to the ground after hundreds of protesters aimed their laser pointers at it, according to NextGov. I mean, it's... <laughs> Go on. Sorry, mate. Oh, I was just going to say, like, it just doesn't warm the cockles of your heart to see a police drone getting taken oh, down. I watched, I watched the footage and the cheers after it crashes. You're so right. <laughs> oh, the whole crowd is just whistling and excited and they're like, hey. Yeah. yeah. So Latin yeah. American. Can you imagine when, like, when, you know, we actually do start getting Robocops, like people are going to start putting you know, ropes in strange places, trying to trip them over and get it on film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and then they'll, you know, of course, then they then they kill mode will activate, and they'll they'll shoot everyone in the area. Everyone's but, dead. Um, yeah. Next bit of news: uh, the Electronic Frontiers Foundation. Uh, they are going on a bit of a crusade to try and end government use of facial surveillance. Yes, yeah, so they said in a blog post to aid this effort, they've partnered with a community with community based organisations in the uh, Electronic Frontier Alliance and other concerned civil society organisations in launching About Face. Now, the About Face campaign is a way for residents in communities throughout the United States to call for an end to the government use of face surveillance. So in his recent majority opinion in the Watershed Carpenter versus United States 2018, Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts wrote, a person does not surrender all Fourth Amendment protection by venturing in the public sphere. And yeah, there was a recent wide interview from a different attorney, um, Gretchen Green, who explained, look, even if I trust the government, I do care. I would rather live in a world where I feel like I have some privacy, even in public spaces. Um, mm. There's a campaign, they've made a web page for it, there's all this cool stuff, but it's just cool to know some groups at least are trying to look out for your facial surveillance rights. Next bit of news, the judge that was assigned to Julian Assange's case, I think we've covered this before, they're now out, at least according to WikiLeaks lawyer Jen Robinson. Yeah, so th this WikiLeaks lawyer um, said that Lady Emma Arbuthnot, the judge presiding over Julian Assange's extradition proceedings, is embroiled in a bit of a conflict of interest and will no longer be sitting on the case. Mm, and this is a really interesting one because the more you look into this case, the more you kind of get the impression that there's some funny business going on because the the report said that Abuthnot's husband, Lord Abuthnot of Edrom, a former British defence minister, has financial links to the British military establishment, including institutions and individuals exposed by WikiLeaks. If you really want a bit more background on this, check out episode 42 uh, from about 
uh, just around 38 minutes through. And that episode, we really talked about WikiLeaks and what's happening with Julian Assange here. But it's a bit of a kangaroo court because they set who mm. the judge was. The, the whole thing's been guided from outside. And it really shows that there's no such thing as a legal system when this stuff happens. And it's, mm. it's, it's, it's pretty corrupt, to be honest. Yeah. And, I mean, look, it may not change much if a new judge is brought in and the old judge goes out. But at least it kind of shows that if this is true – um, and I don't think we've had any real positive confirmation that this is actually happening yet, um, then, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of faith restored in due process. Mm. Maybe. Mm. So Elon Musk announced a couple of weeks ago that Tesla was going to build, build a Gigafactory number four in the Berlin area. Yeah, he's confirmed that Tesla are going to build the Gigafactory in Berlin area by the fact that they're starting to list jobs for the new factory and he's been talking about a full battery and vehicle factory in Europe for a while now. So that's really exciting. That like Germany is the, is where the automakers in Europe are based mm. and that's super exciting. It just shows yeah. they're just tripling down and it's going to be awesome. So I'm excited. But Joe, any day now Tesla are going to go bankrupt and Musk is going to fail. Look, don't worry. Any day I've bought, I've, I'm holding on to my single share <laughs> in Tesla and I very much look forward to it. <laughs> uh, it's just hilarious. Like it just, yeah. Anyway, the constant, the constant narrative that that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, mm. Ford have taken aim at Tesla with an electric Mustang SUV. Yeah, and so if you're on your phone right now, jump into the show notes, click on the link, go have a look at this thing because it is seriously sexy. Like it looks. Really, really, really nice. So Ford recently unveiled their all-electric Mustang Mach-E crossover SUV. And they look, they're, they're pointing this directly to take on Tesla's SUV offerings. Um, and one thing they've learned from Tesla apparently is that boring vehicles don't sell at all. And that's why they're not marketing this as a straightforward vehicle. They're bringing this in under the Mustang range, which is kind of like their GT performance range. Mm, mm. So these performance models will get an estimated 459 horsepower from two electric motors, claims Ford, uh, one powering the back wheels, the other powering the front, as one would expect with two electric motors. <laughs> so those motors should be able to go from, that make the Mach-E go from zero to 60 miles an hour in roughly 3.5 seconds, a time similar to a Porsche 911. Yeah, so the Tesla Model 3 performance, meanwhile, produces 450 horsepower and... Yeah, the upcoming Model Y SUV is expected to take share much of the same engineering. So Ford are probably patting themselves on the back with that big old announcement. And, you know, it's going to get this EPA-rated range of at least 300 miles. So they're really getting super excited. Mm. Um, but then what happened next? Not long after this, uh, Elon Musk, as he's like to do, got on stage to make a new announcement. And he announced... The Cybertruck. Meet the truck that can't be stopped. <laughs> Everyone's probably seen this by now. It's been all over the internet. Um, it's, it, it looks like it's straight out of an 80s cyberpunk-themed um, movie or novel or whatever you want to call it. Um, but he basically says it provides better utility than a truck with more performance than a sports car. Yeah, and they've made this thing with an exoskeleton of cold-rolled stainless steel. Now... They've basically made the outside of this vehicle like just that strong that they were th you could throw sledgehammers or whatever at it, and it's just this one unit, and it's pretty hard to to break. 
Yeah, this thing is built for the apocalypse. Like it's it's thirty times cold rolled stainless steel with essentially arm. It's like essentially armored glass as well. So it's built to withstand anything. So, I mean, you wouldn't want to be in an accident with this thing. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't want to be in a Corolla when that kicks off. But but it looks. Like I'm not going to lie, Joe. Like it looks like they rendered this thing on, you know, modern equipment and whatever, and then they said, okay, now let's take these modern graphics that we've used and then let's go all the way back to like 1995 and make everything really pointed and plain. Yeah. <laughs> it is super ugly, but there have been memes going crazy on the internet with, you know, <laughs> people being like, oh, that's the car from Halo. Or, you know, if I, you know, yeah. when a six-year-old decided to draw a, f- a future vision of a car cut across to Elon Musk smoking a joint on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. And then it's like, whoa, man, let's do this. But here's the kicker. The acceleration goes from 0 to 60 in as little as 2.9 seconds. Compare that to the Ford from the previous piece, which went 0 to 60 in about 3.5 seconds. Yeah, so this thing, well, it looks like it's straight out of 1980. Stupidly large amount of range. Um and is basically indestructible to boot. It's a really ugly car, but I actually really want to buy it. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I mean, I, I, I think it's kind of cool. Hmm. Not all cars have to look good. Although the, the other concept that's been floating around of like what, the, what other people wanted the Tesla truck to look like, personally, I think that, that looks oh, really cool. Yeah, and I would have been yeah. more willing to buy that. So, yeah. But you can't have everything, Joe. You're damn right. <laughs> but... You can have 3D printed boats. That is true. This boat was 3D printed and bigger projects are going to follow soon. Yeah, so University of Maine last month revealed the 3 Dirigo. Uh, I think that's what it's called. Is it a take on dirigible? Or I'm not, I'm not sure, but anyway. <clears throat> it's a 25-foot, 5,000-pound boat that sets new records for the world's largest solid 3D printed object and the largest 3D printed vessel. Yeah, so they printed this boat. You know, it took them three days to print this boat, but a craft of a similar size could actually take months or even a year to produce. Mm. So Mm. it's showing there's a huge amount of potential in 3D printing because it was done so quickly. We shared the uh, video of this a couple of weeks back in our our chat group, uh, FOMO.show forward slash telegram, but it's insane. Like, this thing was made in three days. Yeah, and I think this is like a harbinger of things to come. Like, we've talked for a long time about the potential of 3D printing and that, you know, it's just not there yet and um, and you know, we're still kind of lacking the, the, the ability to work with base materials like we probably need. But it's coming, mate. Like, we're, we're getting to the point now where people are building, like, some significantly large items um, and cutting down a lot on the time. Like, it's foreseeable, you know, in 10 years' time you could have, like, your – Luxury, expensive boats, which is like for the for the purists that want boats built the the real way, and they go and get you know see a person that probably builds boats, and then you've got boats for the rest of us where we rock up to a to a three D printing factory with a big enough printer, we input our downloaded schematics off GitHub or some kind of marketplace, and we print ourselves a boat and just play pay for the raw materials and you know like a little fee for the use of the printer as well. Mm. Mm. So. There's a huge amount of feature in this. Yeah. 
I can't wait. Last piece of news, an air racing tournament have unveiled an all-electric sports aircraft. Yeah, this is the Airbus-backed White Lightning, and it's built for very low-altitude competition. So the Condor Aviation-made White Lightning looks like a typical competitive single-seater, but it packs an electric motor that can propel it to 300 miles an hour while handling really tight turns on a 3.1-mile circuit at just 33 feet off the ground. Now, the battery which powers it is really short-lived, just to put it mildly. The white knotling can last just five minutes of all that racing and 10 minutes of reserve flight at lower power. So you won't see any endurance races with this <laughs> one, at least, at least not yet. Yeah, but, you know, the racing um, tournament doesn't kick off until 2020, and the details haven't been nailed down yet. But it's really cool that these this electric air race is going to have eight teams, um, and it's it's just like the Formula One electric. It's just going to drive forward electric mm. flight. You know, it's just mm. going to drive forward the transport for that. So really exciting. Yeah, we're just seeing so much progress in every area now with ele- with electric powered motors. Mm. Like they're they're just noticeably superior in so many aspects. It's uh, it's only a matter of time before mm. we start swapping on mass. Oh, bring it on. Wherever you're joining us from, it's a pleasure having you here. Why not drop into our Telegram channel to say hello? You can find that at FOMO.show slash Telegram. So we've got a couple of cool tools this week. Uh, the first one is Magic Pad, which we actually mentioned in episode 48 at around 1 hour, 13 minutes and 57 seconds to be precise. Yeah, so Magic Pad is a free, simple and private offline encryption suite so you can bring in your um, encryption keys there. You can write messages to other people and encrypt them, decrypt. It's really well designed. It's one of the most usable encryption tools out there. Now, as Joe and I were preparing for the uh, for the the podcast we're recording today, we we're you know getting on our our branded FOMO show britches, and um, I was uh, you know chewing some grass which I picked from outside. <laughs> we we got a tweet. From Hyun So, who's the creator of MagicPad. And he describes himself as kind of an author, designer, and developer at IBM Research. And he's the creator of um, MagicPad. And he said, not sure if you guys checked out the updated MagicPad, but it now has persistent keys, so no re-importing when refreshed. You can directly import keys from searches. It has its own key server, and you can now share messages anonymously to MagicPost as well and hide the encrypted messages and images. So... Those are some. Those features are not easy to build, and that's so cool. So I really recommend you check out episode forty-eight uh, where we talked about it. Uh, we've got the link in the show notes, but it's a really amazing tool for encrypting and decrypting messages, and it's so usable. It looks beautiful, and he even shared another tweet which has a bit of a preview on some future designs that are coming up. So really check it out. MagicPad is one of the most useful encryption tools out there. And thanks for what you're doing here, too. Like, we really appreciate it. Oh. It's um, it's awesome for people to be developing this kind of stuff. Amazing. So we've got another little cool tool this week, and it is called Map Radio, or MapRad.io is the address for it. Yeah, so this is like a radio communications license register search, and they've mapped the usage of one of the planet's most valuable resources, as they call it, the radio frequency spectrum. Now, it may be something that you've never really come across before, and I've got to admit until recently I'd never even really looked into radio spectrum in any in any kind of detail, but I recommend just going and checking this tool out and just typing in your capital city and then 
having a look at just all the crazy radio things that are going on, all the links, because there's this whole world that most people aren't even exposed to, um, which is just these crazy different radio communications that go on on all sorts of different frequencies for all kinds of different um, reasons. And it's essentially just all floating in the air above us. And we don't even really know it's there. And this thing lets you get really granular. Like you can look at all sorts of different frequencies, all sorts of different types of transponders, and you can actually see all the different links which are set up and licensed with ACMA, which is the, um, the, the, the licensor here in Australia. Wow. All sorts of different stuff. So it's crazy. Cool little tool. So in this week's privacy and security segment, we are talking about Hoddle Hoddle. They dub themselves a global peer-to-peer Bitcoin exchange that doesn't hold funds. Yeah, and they let you trade Bitcoin with basically anyone, anywhere, and using nearly any payment system. So it's quite similar to BISC, which we've covered before, which BISC is another decentralized peer-to-peer um, Bitcoin exchange where you can you know, kind of buy and sell Bitcoin off people anonymously. But this system runs off multi-sig contracts. So these are contracts which are all on chain. Um, they're held in multi-signature accounts and they're only released once the terms of the contract are satisfied. Uh-huh. Oh, that's really cool. And it's peer-to-peer and open source. So yeah. great things that we like. Decentralized, anyone can view the code. Yeah, and the basic steps are that you know you, you basically put your order out um, you and you create a contract between the buyer and the seller. So if you want to buy something, you see that a seller is selling, you like the look of the contract, you hit, yeah, I want to participate in that. The platform will generate a unique multi-signature escrow for that contract. And then the seller will deposit the Bitcoin into the into the escrow directly first. So the seller will show that they've got the Bitcoin first. Then the buyer will pay the seller according to the, the payment method. And then the seller will release the Bitcoin from the multi-sig directly yeah. to the buyer's wallet. And so that's all essentially the trading process is. Wow. So you can find them at hodlhodl.com. Check it out. Do you know someone who might enjoy this? Please feel free to share it with them. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on our Telegram at FOMO.show slash Telegram. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. And on YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, why not leave us a rating in your podcast player and subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. Great, man. Nice. Can you hear that, Kenya? <laughs> is, that, is, is that your daughter? It is. It is. Yeah, she's making noise. That's she, sure. Oh, she loves making noise. <laughs> Super cute. So, um, Frederick, uh, no, I can't even pronounce that. It looks Polish. Uh, Novotny? I don't know how to pronounce it. Novotny, um, head of sales engineering. Um, he uh, and the founder of blah, 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 blah. Yeah, is there anything like this happening in the UK? Do you know, Joe? Because like CCTV there has been 
Like it's been around for what, like 20, 30 years in a lot of public places. Look, as long as you told us it would protect us from the Russians, I'm sure we'd vote for it. So, so I'm, <laughs> there probably is because there's, there's Privacy International, I think, headquartered in the UK. But yeah. look, that's uh, I, I'm not an expert on that stuff. But what I'm going right. to say is it doesn't matter what they're doing, we'll probably just accept it. Yeah. Not really good news, but yes. Mm. Good to hear. EFF Get your laser pointers out. Get your laser pointers out, as long as it's legal. <laughs> <laughs>